Welcome to Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast, a podcast intended not just for parents or caregivers, but individuals seeking guidance around challenging behaviors or recurring and negative patterns in your life. Hashtag Parenting Who Podcast aims to have you asking, who am I parenting here, my child or myself? This podcast has a vision of you, the adult, stumbling upon a new relationship with the child you once were. Parenting is no easy task, but it doesn't have to be a burden. We are happy you are here. Welcome to episode six of the newly named Hashtag Parenting Who podcast. Now, I'm actually recording this podcast after the announcement in episode nine on the podcast where my formal name, logo, and a little intro, jingo, and outro was introduced and that's because my co-facilitator Sarah and I, life just got really busy and we weren't able to record the sessions in succession. So if anyone is listening to the series Unpacking Eating Disorders on my podcast, this one here today is the third of five episodes and we have the fourth one, Disorders, Stigma and Norms, and the fifth one, Uh, diagnosed and non-diagnosed eating disorders. And today is number six, understanding the eating disorder. So Sarah and I are going to talk a little bit about knowing how to help quiet the eating disorder voice. We're going to speak about what that is, give you some context for that, as well as how empathy helps in understanding eating disorders. So stay tuned. And I will let everyone know to please be advised that some of the language Some of the conversation in today's podcast may be triggering for those with active eating disorder symptoms. So please be advised of that and maybe choose not to listen today. Okay, take good care. Hi, Sarah. It's uh, great to chat with you again. Yeah, it's it's great to come back. Mm -hmm. I did let my listeners know that uh, there was a bit of a lull in how my episodes were posted on the podcast and um, life just got busy, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just got to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we did. And I said, you know what? Like the way that I was doing the numbering of the episodes, I was like, there's a big gap in there. And that's because Sarah and I are still planning to finish up our series on eating disorders and disordered eating. And uh, so, so be it. Here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today is uh, the third version of, or not the third version, but the third episode in our eating disorder and disordered eating series. And so today I wanted to chat with you a little bit about understanding the eating disorder, helping caregivers with understanding from a practical lens what it is like, and maybe understanding a little bit more about why their child is doing a certain something. There's certain behaviors that uh, we know through working with with kids and youth with eating disorder and disordered eating behaviors, that there is, in fact, some key things to look out and to to watch for. Um, And so I guess, yeah, if you want to start with with that, Sarah, then we'll go from there. Yeah, great. 
I think, well, for me, understanding the eating disorder is, is kind of the first step to helping someone with one. Um, when I, when I first started working with youth with eating disorders and their families, I, I think this was the biggest piece of the puzzle for me. Um, once I really took the time to understand the eating disorder and understand what that person was going through, what it was like, uh, for them, then I could meet them with how I could help. And so that's why I think it's the biggest piece is if you don't really understand the eating disorder, or at least somewhat understand the eating disorder, then it's really difficult to go in and, and try to help someone eat more or stop their symptom or just have a conversation, like an open, honest conversation about it. So for me, that is so huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned symptom and I mentioned behavior and I guess... And you also mentioned like how to teach them to eat more. I think you said these are key things, aren't they? And I guess if we just, when you said what it was or what it looked like for them, it's almost like you stepping into their shoes, isn't it? And trying mm -hmm. to imagine, yeah, maybe you could speak a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think we're ever going to a hundred percent, somebody who hasn't had an eating disorder, I don't think we can really truly understand what it's what it's like for them and the agony and the distress that they go through every day. But I think if we can try to understand as much as we can, mm -hmm. and that's really what I mean, you're right, is, is kind of what is it like for them right now? What are they going through um, and how and what do they need right now? Um, oh, and right. so when you understand and, and everyone's eating disorder can be different. You know, there can be similarities, but everyone may struggle with different things. And so understanding what it is that your child is fearful of or what it is that the eating disorder is fearful of and what are they avoiding. So, um, you know, this is just my personal way of kind of teaching other people to kind of have a brief insight of what an eating disorder might feel like. Um this is not like a clinical diagnosis or, mm -hmm. or something that you might find in a book. But mm -hmm. um, the way I look at eating disorders is it's almost like a, a temporary schizophrenia where because we the person hears an eating disorder voice mm -hmm. and that voice might be yelling, screaming, telling them to do something. And so that's just something that I've kind of formulated myself is it's somewhat like like schizophrenia but we're lucky in that it, it is treatable, right? Mm -hmm. You can get over your eating disorder and, and um, get back to a life without it. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you will kind of look at it like that, the person who has an eating disorder might have that voice screaming at them. They might have someone saying, you're fat, you're ugly, you're terrible. Why would you eat this? You know, you need to exercise more, like you should never be sitting, those kind of things. And so when you understand what they're going through, you can bring more empathy to them. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, come with empathy and understand that, that they need someone to stand up to that eating disorder. Because right now it's just, it's so overwhelming for them and all they can do is listen to it. Mm -hmm. So if you can 
understand it, you can understand that it needs someone to kind of set those limits, set those boundaries against the symptoms and say, no, no, I'm not going to let the eating disorder kind of take over right now. I know it's really hard um, and you might be angry with me, but I'm going to be here to help stop it. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that you said there, Sarah, around um, what is, so empathy is a big part of all of this. And by coming from the perspective of what is it like for them, that helps to increase empathy, which helps the parent or caregiver to understand the eating disorder in a way that's going to help rather than that perpetual cycle of just eat. No, I can't. You don't understand. And sort of those conflicts that go back and forth that you see. And uh, you mentioned, so a couple of times you've mentioned the eating disorder. And so the eating disorder voice and standing up to the eating disorder. I wondered if you could say a bit more about just that language and the separation, because I see it as a separation from the actual child mm-hmm. or youth in front of you. That's a big part of it, isn't it? In understanding the, the um, disordered eating yeah, I think it is. It is huge, actually, because the way I look at it is the person, the, whoever you are, you you existed before um, the eating disorder was there. So the eating disorder came, came into your life. And um, the way and, and I think that, that language, I mean, that's what we do in hospital settings. That's what we do in treatment is kind of separate or what we call it is externalize the eating disorder. Um, because, and I've, I've seen it so many times with my own eyes, that the child or person with eating disorder is very different when the eating disorder is around. Mm-hmm. And if you can look at what's happening and be able to say, this is the eating disorder and this is my child. That brings a lot, uh, that can help you with your empathy. That can help you with how do I approach this situation and, and what do I do? How do I respond to it? Um, does that, does yeah. that your question? Well, and I think just in helping listeners uh, with respect to understanding the eating disorder, for them to recognize, realize, or for the very first time, get this information that the eating disorder, when it's around, the child is very different, to encourage them to notice that. I mean, as a parent, I can say I know my when something's upsetting my child, for example. So parents and caregivers, and I suppose, and this is a conversation for a whole other podcast for caregivers who maybe don't know the child or youth quite so well. I'm thinking maybe Mm -hmm. like a foster situation or something, but generally speaking, even with time, you can still get to know that child to know the difference between, and I guess when you say they're different when the eating disorder is present, you're talking about that strong voice that's speaking to them that is like almost distracting them. And so is that a good thing that parents could watch for and notice like when they're really just, they're there, but they're not present. And it's probably because the eating disorder is so big in their head in that moment. Yeah. 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 And I can, like, I know you, you mentioned that there may be times where that maybe there's fighting going on and it's yes, will you eat? No, I'm not going to eat. And that, that might be happening and it might be happening a lot once the eating disorder is around. Um, and I, that's very common and normal 
and we see that often in, in families. Um, but that is how, in, in my mind, separating it, bringing that empathy kind of moves you into then being able to understand and, and, and then from the understanding, you can move into how do I approach this? And stand up to the eating disorder, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And setting those limits and setting those boundaries. So in understanding the eating disorder, it's understanding that there truly is an eating disorder voice, like that temporary schizophrenia that you were, that you were saying, that saying things like you're fat, you're ugly, you're terrible, uh, that's literally yelling and screaming. And then as a parent to notice when their child is being themselves versus when the eating disorder voice is really strong mm-hmm. and building their empathy as the parent or caregiver to begin to be that modulator, I guess is a good word mm-hmm. that can stand up to the eating disorder in the way that the young person can't. And through the empathy, being able to set limits and boundaries, because is it fair to say that, and this is, this is an honest and realistic representation, I think of the eating disorder experience and sometimes very frustrating process for parents and caregivers? Yeah, I think it's, it's emotionally, it's, it's a difficult process. It's, it can be long, it can be hard. And, and that's what you're experiencing as a caregiver. But then, you know, again, bringing in some empathy and some understanding for your child or youth, what is it like for them? Because you're, you're not Mm -hmm. even experiencing it on the inside. So if it's exhausting for you, you know, what is it like for them? And, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, the eating disorder is very strong and can be very strong. So I think that's often where people might say, oh, they're, they're being manipulative. Um, so even in that sentence, actually, it's not your child that's being manipulative. It's the eating disorder that's being manipulative or what right. you're seeing as manipulation when really it's the eating disorder saying, how can I do whatever I need to do to have a symptom? to keep going. Um, and so, you know, I'm even looking at it like that, that's the, I guess one example that pops into my head. So I can kind of show, show the difference. Um, how, you know, how do you respond to that? And when you come from a place of empathy, it, it, it will help, it will help you in your relationship with your user or, or child. And it will help you stand up to the eating disorder, which is what the eating disorder needs. Right. Yeah. Uh, And we've talked about that in our previous podcast episodes about the eating disorders is the importance of the parent or caregiver taking care of themselves. And that goes hand in hand with being able to be empathetic because if in that emotionally long and difficult and draining process of supporting an eating disorder in your child or youth, if you're not taking care of yourself, the empathy is going to be hard to find, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, you're right. I think self-care and parents, you know, you're, this is a very difficult process, especially if you're the person standing up to the eating disorder all the time and being met with resistance from the eating disorder, that can be a process that can be really challenging. And so I think that self-care is so important 
uh, absolutely. And it can be hard to find the time, I think, sometimes for parents. Um, but, you know, even if you can have someone stay with your child where you just take a walk or do something mm -hmm. that's rejuvenating for yourself, that's really important so that you can start again the next day um, and, and have some energy to, to be able to keep giving. And I guess what's coming to mind for me as we're talking about this is I want to just put it out there. I mean, that self-care concept, we as therapists, we throw that around all the time. But I would caution parents in finding someone to vent to, to be talking about detail after detail, the frustration, et cetera, et cetera. I like your ideas of a walk, something to rejuvenate themselves because the first example, like venting or talking incessantly with someone about it over and over again, that's not self-care. That's a perpetual cycle of that frustration and that emotionally draining aspect of it that's not going to give the individual the strength to come at it from that empathetic perspective. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, I, there's a whole topic on venting and is, is it really healthy for us, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think if you're struggling as a parent, um, that a really good idea is to seek your own counseling um, for mm -hmm. you, to help support you. And so that it's not a draining process, but that it's helping you find new skills and strategies and um it's from someone who understands eating disorders as well so that they can, they can help you through that process. Yeah. And that's why we developed the virtual caregiver uh, support group, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the reasons for that very reason. Yep. Yeah, one of yeah. the reasons, um, because it can be really challenging, um, to speak with someone who doesn't understand eating disorders. And there's so many people out there in our, in our world who don't understand them. And so if you're coming to them with questions or worries or, and of course, some of it is going to be, you know, talking to a friend may be comforting and, and they may be able to support you, but um, they may mm -hmm. not understand what to say and how to help you. Mm -hmm. They may give you wrong advice Um because they come from a place of not understanding that a friend may be able to be comforting at times. And that's positive. And I, mm -hmm. you know, I encourage that, but if you're seeking advice mm -hmm. from someone who's a friend um, that doesn't understand eating disorders, they may give wrong advice or, you know, mm -hmm. steer you in a direction um, that they don't mean to be, you know, it doesn't mean to be ill intended, but it may not help support your child. Yeah. Uh, and I want to slip over to, you mentioned a uh, symptom. Yeah. You talked about stopping symptoms. You talked about uh, different aspects of that. So that again is uh, a lot of the terminology that we use in treatment. And so I just wondered for our listeners, if in the spirit of understanding the eating disorder more, if, if you can explain that terminology a bit more, yeah, Sarah. And you're right. That's really important in understanding eating disorders is, so a symptom is a a behavior or something that happens um, or a child or youth does that is driven by the eating disorder. And so that might be, that might look like um, not eating your food um, that we would call restricting. Um, 
exercising or over-exercising, standing to lose weight. So whatever, it, it depends on what you're experiencing, what kind of eating disorder you have that may drive whatever symptoms or, or behaviors that you're seeing. Um, but uh, for example, a good example is smearing. So some children or youth may, and, and anyone with an eating disorder, may take food from whatever they're eating and smear it on a napkin, on a table, on clothing, wherever. Um, and so that is a symptom of the eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of a, a, maybe an uncommon one that people wouldn't know about. Um, Actually, could I stop you right there, Sarah? Because I find that, I mean, I know what that is because I've supported eating disorder patients. And I'm just curious for the average person to hear you say that, you know, maybe they're questioning going, well, just a second, you know, Sally was eating breakfast the other day and she smeared her egg in the napkin. Does that mean she has an eating disorder? Can you, is there a sort of threshold, a difference or a noticing, like when we talk about parents noticing certain things, what would it that would sort of put it in that threshold of, I mean, obviously a combination of a number of things like losing weight and uh, some emotional turmoil and ups and downs and different things, but what would put smearing on a napkin above the threshold do you think yeah and I think you're trying to say like how how do you differentiate is this just a a random behavior or is this Mm -hmm. eating disorder symptom and yes yeah you know I think you're right like you need to look at bigger picture you know if you have a healthy child who isn't showing any signs of you know emotional issues happening recently and is a healthy weight is eating normally you don't see any other issues then probably smearing on a napkin is just a normal behavior because they just like it or it just got on their mm-hmm. hands um but i think once when someone has an eating disorder it would be they have several concerns in different areas weight loss um you know mood swings you would notice not eating as much, maybe over-exercising, whatever, you, whatever, it would have to be a combination of, of issues. Mm-hmm. And I think smearing would happen only in the setting of they're eating with other people and the other people are expecting them to complete their meal. Mm-hmm. And, and so yeah, that's, I think maybe how someone would differentiate it. It's not just one thing. It's not one isolated thing. Of course, it's, it's several things. And if you, if you are concerned, you know, of course, go to your family doctor or seek out eating disorder treatment. Um, But that may be one small, one small indicator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for our next podcast, our uh, topic is symptoms and how to recognize them. So we can talk a little bit more, but I just, I liked how you were explaining symptoms and how it's a behavior or sort of an action that you, a youth will do, but that is driven by the eating disorder. And so when you were talking earlier about um, the eating disorder voice and for parents to notice how their child is different, you know, based on who they are, versus having the eating disorder present, uh, little things like smearing in a napkin together with all of those other uh, 
behaviors. Uh, they all are all encompassing to watching out for, uh, for yeah. things and understanding the eating disorder. Yeah, and I yeah. think you know, yeah. we can definitely get more into it in the next in the next podcast because symptoms and behaviors of eating disorders that's a big it's a big topic, um, and mm-hmm. there there can be so many different ones, and you may not even notice them. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm happy, happy to elaborate more in, in the next podcast and get more into it. Um, just before we get ready to wrap up, Sarah, I just wanted to see if you could give a bit more perspective to the eating disorder voice and that temporary schizophrenia. You had said things like the eating disorder is saying to the individual person, you're fat, you're ugly, you're terrible. How loud is that voice, Sarah, if you can imagine, and based on on people you've worked with based on what I what I've been told by others is that it's around all the time but mm-hmm. it seems to be louder when for example louder when food is put in front of them and okay. um, they're asked to do something like uh, go to the mall um, be in a bathing suit so things, it depends on the person, obviously, but um, from what I've been told, kind of from my understanding is that it's so loud that there's times where people, like they cannot even hear the words you're saying. Yeah. So it's it, the way I kind of look and in, in my interpretation to understand is that there's going to be times where the person may not, may not remember what I'm saying to them. And because it's so loud, so helping to quiet it um, mm-hmm. and, and knowing that it is like a dial that it might be turned down and one thing sets it off and it's loud again. So mm-hmm. um, kind of knowing that it's going to fluctuate. It's, it may be really, really loud one day, all day long from the second they wake up to the second they go to bed. But um some days are going to be quieter than others. And, and mm-hmm. I'd say when it's quieter, that's probably when you have a better day or you mm-hmm. as the parent or caregiver or out like person looking in um, would say it's a better day. It may not feel like a better day to that, to that person with an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, while we're talking about externalizing the eating disorder and the eating disorder voice, I think it's also important for people to know that, often someone who is so intertwined with the eating disorder they may not say that they may come and meet you with resistance when you say this is your eating disorder and this is you and you separate them because to them they feel like it's them and so often I see that while someone is very ill they may not be able to see that it's separate and that this eating disorder is is kind of making them do these things. They may feel like it's part of them and, and almost be proud of that it's part of them. And so that is something that takes time to help them to understand and see that it's different. But um, just so others know, you know, if you go up into meet your child, let's say this afternoon, and you, you bring this to the mm-hmm. table and you say, you know, I know this is your eating disorder, you might be met with a lot of anger and resistance back at that do you find the more unwell they are the more undernourished they are does that become more and more difficult 
that piece around their identity and the eating disorder is a part of them or is it more, is it generalized? Um, are you, so you're asking if, if the more they are unwell, if it's more difficult to separate the eating disorder from them? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, does it have to do with like being undernourished? You know, I think, I think that's a contributor contributor. I think that, if I was going to be very general, I could say yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, it's, you know, the more unwell that someone is, the harder it is to separate. Um, but I think it also is the person. And so... Right, because you said, yeah, it's a unique experience for everybody and how they, you've said that all along, and how they respond and... Right what symptoms we see and all of those things it's unique to that individual person and their experience their dna their genetics all of those things and some people are more able to separate it um so some Mm -hmm. people are able to to realize that they hear a voice and that's not them or they may have gone through treatment before and they they're they're okay with saying that and talking about it that way but still they've relapsed and they're very malnourished, you know? So I think it really depends on the person, uh, how they experience their eating disorder. But I, if, in general, yes, um, I would say okay. that the more malnourished someone is, the harder it is for them yeah. with a lot of their, their cognitive processes. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, just as we get ready to wrap up, I wondered if you could provide some information to our listeners about how people could get a hold of you if they wanted to work with you, either do a consult with you or do some some therapy. Yeah, I'm so I'm located in Burlington, Ontario now. Um, I have an office um, that's downtown Burlington, and um, you can get a hold of me. I'm on psychology today. Um, and you can just search Sarah Terwilliger, um, and I'll spell that for you in a second. Uh, you can also reach me on my website, which is www.sarahterwilliger.com, which is just S-A-R-A-H and T-E-R-W-I-L-L-I-G-A-R.com. Perfect. And I will put a link, as I always do, to your website in the show notes there. And then there is still uh, the virtual online caregiver coaching group that we're offering. And so people, we don't have dates up on the website right now about uh, when that's starting, but people can still be in touch with us. And I'll put a link to that on the show notes as well. And uh, thanks very much, Sarah. So I look forward to chatting with you next time about symptoms and getting into understanding those a bit more and how to recognize those. Yeah, me too. Have a great day, Sarah. Thank you. Bye-bye. joining me today. Please remember that information provided in this podcast is not therapy and is not a substitute for receiving help from a licensed or regulated healthcare professional. For more information on this episode and links discussed here today, please see the show notes. Please also visit my website, which includes more resources and social media links, as well as ways of getting in touch with me at julieclarktherapy.com.